And Warm Trophy Kids presented by Bad News Media. It is the College Football Week 12 betting preview show. As always, I am your host, Nate. We've got some fun games. You know, we've only got two weeks left to college football. It's sort of been a blur at this point, it feels like. Uh, but we've been very successful so far. Nice 33 and 27 percent uh, or 33 and 27 on the year, giving us a 55 percent win record. Um it's come down in recent weeks for sure, but we're still profitable. It's been a challenge the last couple of weeks to find the board, to find edges in, in games um, and, and to take the appropriate action on that. Uh, we've done a good job over the course of the season, hit a, a bit of a rough patch, but hopefully we're still getting giving you some good information um, so that you can take action on there. You, you're following the good bets, um, but we're going to have some great football games. I'm very, very excited for rivalry weekend here coming up after Thanksgiving. Lots of good storylines going on for that one issues with Michigan and Ohio state. And I think that's a good place to start is that Jim Harbaugh has gone ahead and accepted the fact that he is going to be out for three games. They're not having their day in court. Uh, there's been some firings at the linebacker coach position. There has been evidence provided to them. And I think when you look at this whole thing from the outside and you see Michigan deciding not to have its day in court, to me, that signals, Hey, we got a lot on you here. I don't know if you want this all to become public. Take the punishment, take the slap on the wrist, and let's move on. And unfortunately, more and more stuff keeps leaking out around this situation for Michigan. I think no doubt at, at this point, we can all agree that there was infractions. And when there are those types of infractions, a punishment needs to be doled out. The severity of the punishment may be up for debate. I think this is pretty fine. Um, I know people are pissed about the fact that he can be still part of the team during the week. And it's like, what's the point, you know, for the on the sideline stuff that does matter in a game like Ohio state head coaches have a, a, a feel for games. There's a reason they've been elevated to these positions as opposed to their coordinators. And I do wonder about the in-game calls or philosophies that are going to be on display because it's one thing to have a game plan, but for that game plan to survive first contact is another thing entirely. And and maybe the game plan for the Ohio state Michigan game works perfectly for Michigan and they don't really have to adjust much and they don't have to work, go off much of the script that is laid out in the week leading up to that. Or maybe the game goes a little differently and and now you're put in a place where you need to make some decisions and you don't have your leader and hardball there. And so that is important. So I do think this is a pretty good punishment for him. Now it puts a ton of pressure on day because if you can't beat Michigan this year without hardball on the sideline, I wouldn't want to be in Columbus following that game. Um, that's going to be some tough waters to try to ride out. So it'd be very interesting to see what happens there. Um, more to follow on that, I think. But I, I want to talk about some coaching carousel news because we have a, a ginormous job in Texas A&M opening up. There's speculation that the UCLA job is going to be opening up. Mississippi State has an opening. And and let's start with the Mississippi State are one because I think that presents the most fun. I, I have some coaching candidates I think might work there. And I, I think the one thing we need to realize when we talk about Mississippi State and, and the, the job at Mississippi State the coaches that are going to be up for that job, it is going to be a better payday for them. Obviously, you're going to make a lot of money. But is it a necessarily a better situation from the win-loss column? I don't know. I I would I would lean no. Um, you've got an SEC that is getting tougher and tougher. To every direction of you, there are better schools. You know, even within your own state, 
you are having a tough time competing with Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. You've got Georgia. You got LSU. You've got Alabama. You now got Texas and Oklahoma coming into the conference. Like you have these ginormous programs. And I think in order for Mississippi State to be successful in their coaching hire, they need to look backwards and understand what worked for them in, in the style that worked for them. And that style was not trying to be a Georgia or an Alabama, which Arnett was trying to do. Um, Arnett failed to realize that he took over because of some really unfortunate circumstances with, with Leach passing and them wanting to kind of keep the program together. And this was a program built for the air raid offense. It was recruited for that purpose because the idea was we got to throw a curveball, something off speed in this SEC conference. And Arnett said, screw that. We're going to be a power football team. We're going to sort of try to build this thing like the juggernauts in the SEC. And you can't do that in Mississippi State. You know, before Dan Mullen showed up, Mississippi State was sort of a, a bottom feeder in the SEC. And Dan Mullen shows up. He does a good job of getting talent in the door. But he also throws some off stuff, off pe- off speeds pitches. You know, he's not trying to throw a 90 mile per hour fastball like Alabama and Georgia. He's doing something a little creative. You got to you got to plan for that game specifically when you play Mississippi State, and that was successful. And then you move to Leach, who does the same thing. You know, if if Dan Mullins is a, a curveball, Leach is a knuckleball, and you gotta you gotta prepare a little differently for that. I think that's what you got to do here. You got to look towards the past. You can't go out and get a guy and let like a defensive minded coach unless they're going to be really open to innovative offenses. You can't go get a guy who's used to to winning with good talent. I think obviously the first call is Dan Mullen to see if you can get him off the TV circuit, which rumor is he really is enjoying that lifestyle right now and not having to grind like you have to grind in college football and, and sort of being a family man and, and being on TV. And he's enjoying the lifestyle. So not saying it's not impossible to get him, but it's probably going to be pretty hard. Um, I think then you start to look outwards and there's a lot of names that have been talked about. I think there's a pretty good list of stuff, you know, you look at guys like Willie Fritz at Tulane. He's in the older part of his career. This would kind of be his big payday. And then he's going to probably be there till you either choose to fire him or he chooses to retire. Um, I think he could be an option. I think Jamie Caldwell at Liberty is probably the option because this is a guy who is used to winning with lesser talent and winning in unique ways. He did it at Coastal and building that program there. He's now doing it at Liberty. He is the kind of guy that a Mississippi State needs. A guy who's going to come in and understand, I'm not going to be able to compete with the big fish in, in getting that type of talent. I may get a couple guys here and there. You know, We have money. We have resources. So the roster isn't going to be bare bones. But I have to work with what I got. And I got to present something that is different to what the rest of the SEC is presenting. I think he could be a great fit there. I think you look at a guy like Jeff Taylor or Tyler over at US, USTA. Now he's apparently interviewing for the Texas A&M job. They're going to have more money than you are. But if he's not, if he's not taking that job, he could be nice. I think ironically, Sean Lewis, had he stayed at Kent state would have been in the conversation here because what he was doing at Kent state was pretty remarkable when you take a look at the Kent state program and, and where it is in the pecking order and what he was getting out of there. But his stock has taken a ding with what's going on in Colorado um, and his inability to to f- find the type of success they want. Not to say he's necessarily a bad coach, but there are certainly question marks about his ability. Um, Lance Leipold is obviously, I think, the best option 
But Lance has been pretty open about wanting to to basically die at Kansas. And you love that energy from your head coach. You want that energy in your head coach if you're Kansas. The program is really excited. You've got Daniels returning next year. I don't think they're going to be able to pry him away, but it's worth the phone call. It's worth the like, hey, we're willing to offer you X amount of dollars if you want to come here. It's going to be a tougher sell because his path to success in the coming years is getting easier at Kansas um, within the Big 12. But he's a guy that would be really nice. So I think the objective here is is to look towards your past and look towards what's worked there. And it is that coach that understands they're not going to have the best players. They can't just come in and throw, try to throw heat all day. They got to throw some off off speed pitches. And, and I think that's a pretty decent list of guys. I think all those guys are going to get phone calls. I think it obviously starts with Dan Mullins up front and, and trying to see if you can lure him back. And then if you can't, I think Caldwell at Liberty's probably going to be the guy that you put a lot of your chips in for. Um, I like Fritz at Tulane. I think you could definitely prime away. It's just whether or not you want to go that route because he's this is kind of going to be his probably last contract in college football. Um, if you you pick him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that shake up. Texas AM becomes a very interesting question. There's a lot of coaches names flying around, as there should be. Everybody's going to be getting a call from Texas AM. They have the money, clearly. They just bought out Jimbo's contract for $76 million. And we've talked a lot about that on this show in that at the end of the day, Jimbo, the game had just passed him by. You know, it wasn't probably going to work out. Uber talented roster. I mean, the upcoming senior class at Texas A&M, Nick Saban called them the best class you could buy money with. Like, that's who they're getting. And I think that the boosters at the end of the day we're not seeing the return they wanted to see on the the investment they made on these players. And now there's going to be a really big concerted effort to try to keep that roster together in the interim because the portal's about to open up here and there's going to be a lot of suitors for a lot of those guys. And so I think there's two ways you can do this. I think a Mike Elko type is a great option. He's familiar with your program. He knows some of the players. He knows the politics of Texas A&M. He knows the inner workings of everything there. He knows the infrastructure. He knows the state and recruiting lines. But he's not like a big, sexy name. He's not going to be the guy that you get in if you want to try to maximize your return next year. He's the guy that's going to build the program. He's a long-term investment that will probably work. Then there's the option to kind of go big name, try to win as much as you can here with the investment you've made. And maybe it works out long-term. The Lane Kiffins of the world, the Urban Myers of the world. You know, Dan Lanning's name's been thrown around. I love Dan Lanning. Dan Lanning is the absolute best. I My stock was already high on Dan Lanning. I'm continuing to buy just more and more of it. I loved what he said. I do not for the life of me understand why there are people that legitimately think Texas A&M's a better job than Oregon right now. In what way, outside of you're going to get a bigger paycheck potentially up front? Like, Oregon has resources. They've got Nike, the biggest brand in sports behind them. You've got a great place to go to college, to in Eugene, Oregon. You have a recruiting corridor on the West Coast where your competition in that region is not on par with you. And now you're getting lanes into the Big Ten. Like, you can really build this thing in your name. Like Dan Landing has ultimate control and, and the prospects there are great. And you can sit back and wait for the job 
to open up and not settle for a job like Texas A&M where it's going to be really hard to compete, where you have to deal with internal politics, similar to like a Texas, where we've seen guys struggle to really manage the internal show as well as the football program. Um, like Dan Lanning's in an awesome spot. I've never understood the mentality outside of like a top five job of these last couple coaches acting like Oregon isn't it. Um, like Dan Lanning's going to have a lot of success there. Um, so I don't think that's going to work out. The dion has been interesting because seemingly I haven't received a ton of, seen a ton of pushback against it. Dion to Texas A&M makes very little sense to me. I, I don't see a world in which this is happening. Because not only do you have the factor of his kids are at Colorado and the transfer playing restrictions that would come with moving to, a if he were to move to A&M, but you also have things like Rick George and him being in absolute lockstep. Like Dion, this is Dion's program. He's got buy-in from everybody. And I was speaking to a source close to the Colorado program, and he brought up a lot of these good points of like, Rick George is in lockstep with Dion. He's going to be kind of the shield if anything were to go wrong, which it's not going wrong. But if there were between Dion and, and sort of the boosters and outside noise, which you don't necessarily have at Texas A&M. You also have the Nike contract that is in place about being at Nike schools, um, which was brought up by the source close to, to Colorado. You have other things like there are rumors flying that due to the success viewed internally at Colorado and sort of the rumblings about teams trying to maybe court Dion, that there could be some contract extensions or some more money being put up um, to entice Dion. And, and so you've got the kids, you've got the Sanders kids, you've got guys like Dylan Edwards who have been attached to Dion for a very long time. You've got things like the Nike contract and potentially some contract extensions going on. You have full buy-in from your program. They are in lockstep with you. This is your deal. Like you get to run the show how you want to run the show. That's a really good opportunity for Dion. Like Dion at this point at Colorado, moving into the Big 12 where you're you're going to have more success just right off the bat. If nothing changes, which I expect things will change, like they're going to get some more talent. I think they're going to start to get something figured out, but say nothing changes. They're going to have more success in the Big 12. It's just set up for them to have more success in the Big 12 next year. So you're going to have better win-loss record. You're going to have continued buy-in from the fan base. And you can sort of kick back because you don't need the money. You're a guy who's made an enormous amount of money and you can kind of pick and choose your spot of where you want to go. Cause there are going to be other programs that are going to offer you. So I don't think Dion's headed to, to Texas A&M. Um, I, I would be very shocked by that, but Texas A&M is going to make phone calls. They're going to see what's up. I, people need to stop acting like Texas A&M is a top five job. It's maybe a top 10. I put it 15 to 10 range somewhere within there. It's a good opportunity. Don't get me wrong. And we'll see what the continued route goes. But it's it's either you get a guy like Mike Alco who can build this thing out long-term and you have long-term buy-in, or you're going for the big sexy name and, and you want the guy that you think you can maximize this window of opportunity with the talent you have in the door and the investment you've already made and will continue to make. So that's how I, I see that one going out. Let's talk some football games, though, because that's what the people come here for. That's what you want to hear. Um, we've got some very interesting games this week, uh, to say the least. Louisville, Miami, 12 o'clock start. Lines at one, over under 46 and a half. 
ACC wants Louisville in the championship game. That's what I read from this scheduling because it's already going to be tough to get fans out to the Miami game because they're not very good. And so it's already hard. It's a buy one, get one free game. It's a noon game before the Thanksgiving break. You've got to travel out for that one. The team doesn't really have a lot of buy-in right now. The question mark I have, because I think there's a distinctive coaching edge, like you flip Jeff Brom and Mario Cristobal. You give Jeff Brom the talent that's on Miami, and you give Mario Cristobal the talent on Louisville, who's winning that game? Jeff Brom in Miami. Jeff Brom is the superior coach here. His team is not untalented. It's a physical team. They'll punch you in the mouth. They did it in the Notre Dame game. They, they've they had some issues. I wonder about the trust level that Brom has with Palmer right now because the offenses looked a little left some things to be desired, but I love Jeff Brom. I think he's a phenomenal coach. Loved him at Purdue. I feel like I say that every single week. I think Louisville is going to be making the ACC championship and the Kentucky game next week will be very interesting, but I'm going to lay it with Louisville here. Uh, I'm going to take the money line um, and just lay, lay Louisville. Like it, I just think you have Tyler Van Dyke coming back in. You benched him. Now he's coming in due to an injury. It's well known that the team is not really behind him. He's a guy that seems checked out now at this point. They sort of ruined his prospects in his career because there is talent in Van Dyke. So, but give me Louisville on, on the one here. Um, and and we'll go with that. As we continue on down the board, we are looking at games like Utah, Arizona, which is an interesting matchup. I don't particularly have a bet here. The reason I'm bringing this up is this is a very interesting game to see how for real this dead Fisher team is when it comes to physicality. You know, the desert swarm seems to be back at the university of Arizona, but Utah is a punch in the mouth football team. This is an extremely physical football team. Um, Let's see what, what Arizona looks like here. You know, they are, kind of a short, quick pass offense. Those types of offenses had have had some good amount of success against Utah. Let's see what the defense looks like. I, I just, I'm down on the Utah offense so much, and it's not their fault. The quarterback situation has been a miss because Cam Rising's been injured. So you've had to deal with that, but I just, I don't have good feelings about that. Um, Georgia, Tennessee, lines at 10 and a half, over under 58 and a half. Kirby spot smart is just different, folks. Like Kirby Smart is just different. He has got this team rolling at this point in the season. The offense is humming. Beck looks way more comfortable. Honestly, I think the offense might be the best unit on this team, which is crazy when you think about how this is sort of a defensive-led team, but it it's buzzing right now. And this is the thing that Kirby Smart does well every single year. He goes in and, and he sort of plans out that they're going to be a team in the hunt late. So it's a lot about rotating bodies in and out, keeping guys fresh early in the season. It's not about just going out and laying the hammer every single week. There is more of a a rhyme and a rhythm to what he is doing for a long-term objective. And we seemingly see it every time this time of year. And we've seen that the last three weeks, they just keep ratcheting it up and they found like this new gear and they're going. Um, And so offensively, I don't see a, a lot of past success for this Tennessee defense. The defensive line is good for Tennessee, but that's about it. Um, the linebackers are severely outmatched here. The corners are very undermatched here. So you flip the side and you go, can Tennessee keep it in a 10-ball game? I don't think so. 
unless they are committed to allowing Joe Milton to be a real designated downhill runner, because at this point, his career at Tennessee is, is done. Um, you're going to eventually probably bring in Nico next week. Unless they util- unless he's willing to utilize his legs in a downward force. I don't know how you have a lot of success here because Kirby is famous for believing in his defensive line and being able to drop back into coverage. Not a lot of blitzes. They're timely blitzes. It's a lot of we're going to get natural pressure. We're going to drop out. We're going to be physical with your wide receivers. Good luck. And it's been very successful, folks. It's been very, very successful. So I, I'm i not willing to bet on the Joe Milton show. I think the team total for Georgia is in play here. I think Georgia at 10 is in play. I am going to bet Georgia at 10 and, and go from there. North Carolina Clemson, very interesting matchup. Line is at seven, over, seven and a half, over under 59. <laughs> Man, Clemson is, is starting to get it back together a little bit here. This is a really dangerous spot for Drake May and UNC because if they are continued to put into known passing situations, this Clemson defense line is going to get after Drake May. Um, this is a, a, a spot, if you remember the last year, it's what built the Klubnik hype trade because he had a lot of success against this Gene Chizik North Carolina run defense last year and played very well. I feel like this is a similar spot. UNC's defense at this point in the season is not offering up too much resistance. And so if you're chasing points early, you're going to be putting Drake May into positions where he's going to have to be in known passing downs. Clemson's going to be able to get after them defensively. I think even though it's 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 not a good year successfully for Clemson, this is a spot where they're going to have some success. I haven't laid the wager. If you can move this number under seven or you can find it at seven or lower, I think it's worth betting Clemson. So maybe in a teaser leg, you know, put them in a teaser leg, tease them down to one or something. That that that's I think that's great. At seven and a half with that hook, I just don't know because there is the chance that even though Jerick May is in known passing situation, he does some phenomenal things. He's having a really good game. He's feeling it. And they they hang around in this one or they backdoor cover this bad boy. So this is a game that I'm just I'm staying away from unless I'm throwing it in a teaser leg or I'm I'm getting it under seven. Um, as we continue down the board, there are some interesting games later in the night. You've got Kansas State versus Kansas. Line is at nine and a half, over under 57 and a half. Big news is Daniels is coming back next year. Fantastic news for Kansas. The bad news is you got to play this Kansas State game. And Bean got hurt last week. His he's still unclear as to whether or not he's going to play in this game. If you don't have him, this is a very dangerous game for Kansas because Kansas State can just control the clock in the game. They don't have to put Will Howard in situations where he's got to be in bad passing situations. They can run it. They're very physical. Kansas's defense at this point in the season doesn't have much fight left in it. It's just, it's not there. And so you're going to be able to run the ball if you're Kansas State. You're going to be able to pick and choose your spots where Howard opens it up and throws the ball. Without Bean and the uniqueness that you can present offensively if you're Kansas, I don't know how they have success in this game. And that's nothing to them. They're on their third-string quarterback. He was a walk-on. 
like it's not that Kansas is a bad team. It's not that Lance Leipold has like some lost his ability to coach. It's just the nature of the beast in that you've got your two quarterbacks down and out if Bean doesn't go, and you're relying on a walk-on against the Kansas State team that is buttoned up, that is coached really well, that is fierce in the trenches and is going to win the line of scrimmage. And you've got to rely on some playmaking ability out of your quarterback, and it's just not there without Daniels or Bean. That's the evaluation, as simple as that. Washington, Oregon State, lines at one and a half, over under 62 and a half. Oregon State is the favorite. There are some ruffled feathers uh, in Oregon State due to game day choosing James Madison instead of this game. Take a quick drink of water there. This is a this is a very interesting game from a betting standpoint. It, it's 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 very hard for me to find the edge here because there are two very likely scenarios that have two very likely two very different outcomes. And that is the first one that Washington gets up early, say i.e. 14 points or so. You know, they come out, they're aggressive, they attack the secondary and they get out to a quick lead, and then Oregon State is chasing. That is not a recipe for success for Oregon, even though this Washington defense is down. Because then you're putting the ball in DJU's hands. And while he has been much better and he has limited the turnover bug, that is a byproduct of being able to grind games out, play off play action, and let him choose and pick his spots where you're you're passing the ball. But if you're chasing points and you have to open up this offensive attack, it's not necessarily a recipe for success. But the other coin is just the other side of this coin is just as likely. And that is Washington has become a much more well-balanced team. In part, I believe it's a bit of a tinfoil theory hat, but I watch all these games. Penix has seemed a little off. I have there is speculation of an injury there in which he is nursing it back, but it's not big enough to leave him out of the game. It's just it takes a little bit off his ball. And so you're being a little bit more well-balanced. You're not putting as much on him to pass the ball and expose that potential injury. And so if that's the style, you're going to have success. But Oregon State wants to play that game. They want to grind it out. They have one of the best offensive lines in college football. This is Both these offensive lines are incredibly good, but they have one of the best lines in offensive football. They can run the ball on you. They will pass protect when called upon. That's a dangerous combination. And they're at home, which is a much different Oregon State team. That makes sense as to why Oregon State is the favorite. I think the more likely of the options here, though, is Washington is probably going to be able to open this up from a passing standpoint and then lean on the run. Because while Oregon State, I'm holding an Oregon State eight and a half win ticket, so I want Oregon State to win. I there are a lot of struggles on the back end, and there are a lot of mismatches between the Washington wide receivers and the Oregon State corners and secondary. So the philosophy, I believe, should be let's try to get up early. Let's be aggressive early. See if we can open this thing up early and put Washington State out of what they want to do offensively, and we can find success. Because the other problem that Oregon State's going to have defensively is that while they are very good at getting after the quarterback and racking up sacks, they have not faced an offensive line as good as Washington's. And so that's an interesting dynamic, an interesting aspect to the game, and, and we'll see how it plays. Um, 
Texas, Iowa State, I don't have much there. I'm not betting the game, but I'm going to be watching it very closely to see how this offense operates without Brooks because that is a huge loss um, for this team uh, moving forward. So that's what we got as of right now. Um, I'm going to put out some bets on Trophy Kids Pod Instagram um, game day of. We've got some good good information there. Hopefully that allowed you to to kind of get some leans on some things, get some information on some games you might be looking to bet. Um, I, I do like Georgia and the Georgia team total. I think that's a really good opportunity right there um, to, to get a win on the board. You know, I like Louisville. We said that earlier. They're going to kind of hang in there um, and I think pull that game out and, and, and punch their ticket to the ACC championship game. Um, if I, I find other bets that I'm, I'm looking at or, or enjoying, I'll, I'll definitely tweet them out to make sure to be following at Trivia Gets Pod on both Twitter and Instagram and TikTok for that matter. Um, and we'll go from there. As always, peace.